This past week I was talking with a, a lady who was supposed to attend our Christmas Eve service. And uh, I told her about it at Thanksgiving time. In fact, I ran into her and she asked if we had a Christmas Eve service and what the Christmas Eve service was all about. So I told her it was going to be a lesson and carol service. We're going to hear about the Christmas story, sing familiar Christmas songs, and then close the night by singing Silent Night in Candlelight. And she was so excited. Uh, she said that she hasn't been to a service like that since she was a little girl and she couldn't wait to attend. And I saw her like three times between Thanksgiving and Christmas and every time she told me how excited she was. Well, Christmas Eve came and she didn't show up. And so this past week I ran into her again and, and she ran up to me and, and she apologized for not coming. She told me the story at, at what happened and why she couldn't be here. But then she said, you know, honestly, since Christmas Eve, I've kind of just been down. I've kind of been depressed, disappointed in myself for not showing up. Uh, I've just kind of been in this funk because I miss Christmas Eve. And it got me thinking that the holiday blues is a real thing. I've seen several people post on Facebook about having the holiday blues. And it makes sense. Because starting at Thanksgiving, we make such a big push for Christmas. We've got to wrap the gifts. We've first got to buy the gifts. We've got to wrap the gifts. We've got to plan for traveling. We've got to plan food. We've got to get the Christmas decorations up. And then Christmas comes, and then it's just done. Now what are we looking forward to? Now what are we pushing towards? And and the holiday blues can extend more than just into our personal life. It, It extends here at church, too. Because at church, it's the same thing. We make such a big push for Christmas. We set up all the Christmas decorations. The tree is up. Look beautiful this year. Uh, We sing Christmas songs. We make a big push in telling our friends and family about our Christmas Eve service so that they come and hear about the newborn king. We sing the Christmas songs. Then we sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve. And then it's just done. Now what? Now what's there to look forward to? And this holiday blues mentality can even reach into our relationship with Jesus. And so the question we're talking about today and and asking asking ourselves is how do we avoid that very thing? How do we avoid having the holiday blues with Jesus and kind of being disappointed in where we're at and feeling down and, and just in a funk with our relationship with Jesus? To do so, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew uh, is one of Je- was one of Jesus' disciples, and he wrote a biography of Jesus. We call it the Gospels. And in Matthew chapter 2, Jesus has already been born. Uh, you may remember that Jesus' mother Mary and Joseph, his stepfather, were uh, living in Nazareth, but then there was a census that was being taken, and so they had to travel the, the 100 miles down to Bethlehem because that's where they're originally from. And so while they were there, Jesus was born. Born and placed in a manger. Uh, but then, after Jesus was born, Joseph decided to hang out in Bethlehem for a little bit. Probably to give Mary some recovery time before they journey back the hundred miles up to Nazareth. And so Joseph found them a house. And they're in a house in Bethlehem when some guys from the east come looking for the newborn king. Looking for Jesus. We're in Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
So who were these magi? Uh, honestly, we don't really know much about them other than what's written here. There's a lot of tradition about the Magi, but not a lot of facts about the Magi. For instance, how many Magi were there? Three? We don't actually know. We assume there's three because there's three different gifts given. But there could have been more. Uh, there could have just been two. Uh, we don't honestly know. We're told they're from the east. And so we assume that it's from Babylon. Because we also assume that since they recognized that a star of Jesus was out there, that uh, they were astrologers. Because they're out looking at the stars and they see a star, and so they had to be astrologers, right? Well, since they studied the stars, the only nation from the east of Jerusalem that studied the stars was Babylon. And so we're assuming that they're from Babylon, that they're astrologers, that there's at least three of them, uh, and they travel to Jerusalem. How did they know that this star was the star of the Messiah? We don't know. How, do we, how, how did they know that this star was different? What did it look like? We don't know. All we know is that a star appeared and they recognized that it was the star of the Messiah somehow. And they started a thousand mile trek from Babylon all the way over to Jerusalem. Here's a, a map for you. It's got modern-day countries in there so that we can kind of see where it's at. Here's Jerusalem over here in the Holy Land. Babylon was, is over here in Iraq. And so they would travel the thousand miles up and around and down to Jerusalem to come and see this newborn king. And when they get there to Jerusalem, they start asking, Hey, where's the newborn king? Hey, where's the king of the Jews? He, he's born. We saw his star in the sky. Where's he at? And word gets to King Herod, who is the current king of the Jews in Jerusalem. And here's what happens. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed. Jesus' birth is now getting out into the public. More and more people are finding out about it. And we see three different reactions here. Two, obvious. One, maybe not so obvious. But Jesus' birth causes a reaction. And the first one we see is hatred. Herod we're told when he hears about this newborn king of the Jews, is disturbed. Why? Because he's king. He's the king of the Jews. And if there's this newborn king of the Jews, that people are coming from a thousand miles away to come and see him, this is not good for Herod. Because guess what it means? He might lose his throne. He might lose power. He might lose control. 
In fact, he was such a paranoid guy about losing his throne and losing control that he had a few of his sons put to death and one of his wives because he thought they were conspiring against him. And so to hear that there's, there's this newborn king, this is not good for Herod. And he's terrified of it, and he's filled with hatred for this boy. And later on in chapter 2, we actually see that he tries to kill Jesus and get rid of him completely. Herod hated Jesus and wanted to get rid of him. And we see that reaction in today's world, don't we? Jesus causes the same reaction today. You look overseas, and and Christians are being killed at, at a very high rate because they're Christians. They're trying to get rid of Christianity overseas. But we don't even have to look over there to see it. It's here in America. It's here in Austin. It's here in Liberty Hill. People try to get rid of Jesus. They're trying to get rid of Jesus in politics and in government. They're trying to get rid of Jesus in our schools. They're trying to get rid of Jesus uh, in our homes. They're trying to get rid of Jesus everywhere you look. People want to get rid of Jesus. And maybe you've experienced it. You tell someone you're Christian... You talk about growing closer to God. You talk about Jesus. And it's something just triggers in them. And they have to take a dig at you. They have to say something negative about Christianity. Because Jesus causes them to be filled with hate. Why? If Jesus is real, if He was really born and really did what the Bible says He did, guess what that means? They no longer have control of their life. Jesus sits on the throne And they don't get the final say. And so, they hate him. And want to get rid of him just like Herod. So Herod calls all the chief priests and teachers of the law. He calls together the religious leaders, the seminary professors, the the ones with the theology degrees, and says, Hey, where's this Messiah going to be born? And they say, Well, that's easy. Micah, 700 years ago, told us. In Bethlehem, in Judah. That's where he's going to be born. Herod says, see guys, Magi, this is where he's born. And then calls the Magi secretly and says, hey, let me know where he's at so I too can go worship him. Uh, Not that he actually wanted to, he just wanted to know so he could go kill him. And so they leave, the Magi. And right there is a joyful statement, but also a very sad statement. Because who didn't go with? the religious leaders. The ones who, who said the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, we're not told they go with... It's not said that they go with. They stay back in Jerusalem. Think about that. Your people have been waiting for the Messiah for, thousands, for a thousand years. More. You have had the Scriptures which tell you exactly where the Messiah is going to be born. You've got weird guys from a thousand miles away traveling on camel saying, we saw the star of the Messiah. He's born. Where's he at? And he's five miles away in Bethlehem and you don't go check it out. Are you kidding? And that's the second reaction that Jesus caused. Apathy. They were apathetic to this message. Whether it be they were afraid of Herod, whether it be that they were uh, they had other things to do, whether they just knew the Messiah's story so well, knew the Old Testament prophecy so well, 
They were just apathetic to the Messiah. And they don't go and check him out. And finally, the last reaction Jesus caused is joy. Which is what we see in the Magi, right? They are filled with so much joy over the Messiah that they travel a thousand miles just to worship this newborn king. Let's just compare and contrast here for a second. Mostly contrast. Uh, the, the religious leaders and the Magi. The Magi travel a thousand miles away to come and see this newborn king. The religious leaders can't travel five miles to go see him. The Magi don't have the Old Testament scriptures. They don't know where he's going to be born. They don't know when. They don't know what he's going to do. They just know that God is going to send a Messiah and this was his star. And they go to go worship him. The religious leaders have all of the prophecies of the Old Testament scriptures. They know when he's going to be born. They know what he's going to do. They know he's coming from, from God. And yet, they are completely apathetic toward Jesus, towards the newborn king. The Magi, though, they are filled with joy. And they travel to Bethlehem. And when the star stops over the house where Jesus is, we're told that they were overjoyed. And that's great. They were overjoyed. The, The original Greek has four words to describe their joy. It says, They rejoiced a joy. A very big joy. A very great joy. That's how much they were overjoyed. Not because their journey was over, but because Jesus was in that house. Could you imagine the joy we'd have if we found out that Jesus was five miles down the road? If I told you that today, I think we'd all run out of here. Some of us wouldn't even bother going to the car. We'd just take off in a sprint. Others of us would get in our cars and speed. We wouldn't even do the speed limit. We'd speed to go see the newborn king. We'd go and speed and see Jesus. Because we'd be filled with that much joy and excitement. And even though we can't see Jesus physically, we do get to see Him and hear about Him on the pages of Scripture. And in a very real way, that causes us more joy than the Magi had. Because the Magi didn't have the complete picture. The Magi just knew that God was sending a Messiah and, and He'd come into the world and this was the newborn King. Did they actually grasp that Jesus would die and forgive their sins? Conquer death? We don't know. But we know it. We know that this baby born on Christmas was born to live and die for us. We know that He was born to to rise from the dead, conquering our sin, conquering the grave, and because of Him, our sins are forgiven. Heaven is open to us. We know all this. And so in a very real way, we have even more joy than the Magi do, or than the Magi did. And yet, how often don't our hearts reflect the religious leaders? Apathetic. Because we know it, right? We know these stories. We've heard it over and over again. Yes, we know Jesus loves us. Yes, we know Jesus forgives us. And that's great. And our hearts become apathetic to this message. We take it for granted. We become callous. It's an apathetic heart that doesn't want to travel the the five steps across the room to open up our Bible. And so it remains shut and on the shelf. It's an apathetic heart that doesn't want to journey the five miles to church on Sunday morning, and so we kind of look for any excuse not to. It's an apathetic heart 
that leaves church on Sunday disappointed and, and bummed out because we didn't sing the songs we wanted to sing, because we didn't like the music. Instead of finding joy in Jesus, the one who forgives me of my sins. It's an apathetic heart that allows other things to take priority over my relationship with Jesus, whether it be a sin, whether it be uh, other things we have to do that prevent me from reading my Bible or coming to church. It's an apathetic heart. We know it. We'll get to it next week. We'll get to it tomorrow. Great. It's there. It always has been. We know it. Do you know what causes an apathetic heart? Do you know why we have apathetic hearts? And I do mean we, because just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I don't suffer from apathy in in my relationship with Jesus. I do. You don't have to raise your hands for this, but how many of us actually sit down and, and actually think through just how sinful we are? How many of us sit down and actually think, here are my sins from today, here are my sins from the week, and each of these sins deserves hell? How many of us actually think and and think through the fact that if it wasn't for Jesus, our souls would be in hell for eternity, experiencing the pain and suffering of, of the absence of God? I don't think many of us do that. How many of us actually sit and think through exactly why Jesus came into the world? Why the God of this world came here? It wasn't to hang out with us. He was born for one purpose, and that was to save our souls from hell. And He did that. Not by just taking us. He did it by dying for us by leaving His throne in heaven and coming here for us. You see, this is what causes joy in our relationship with Jesus. It's by remembering who we are and who He is and why He was born. And that's what filled the Magi's heart with joy. This is the Messiah. This isn't a political king. This is the Messiah. What did that mean? They might not know, but they knew it wasn't political. We know what that means. And so if you're looking for joy, it comes from Him. And that's your next point. Joy comes not from within, but from Him. Joy comes not from within, but from Him. You don't have to dig deep into your heart to find joy. You don't have to dig deep to to find it. Look to your Savior. Look to your Savior Jesus, who, who let nothing get in His way to spend eternity with you. He didn't travel five miles. He didn't travel a thousand miles. He traveled from heaven above to earth below to be with you. He didn't let suffering get in His way. He didn't let death get in His way as He died on the cross, which wasn't a glorious thing. Dying on the cross was was meant to be the most brutal thing that the Romans could ever come up with. And on top of it, it was also the most embarrassing thing. Because not only did you go through extreme pain, but they crucified you naked. And so think about that. The God of this world, the God who created everyone, is on the cross, (coughs) naked, in front of His creatures, the ones He's dying for, the ones He's saving from hell. 
which he didn't even let hell stop him from spending eternity with you because on the cross, he experienced it. If you remember, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer? Because your sins and my sins were on him. Because he took responsibility for them. And God said, What do sins deserve? Eternal death and hell. And so you're going to experience it, Jesus. And what's hell? Separation from God. And so God said, You're forsaken, Jesus. Why? Also that you and I will never, ever be forsaken by our God. So that your names are now written in heaven. So that your soul is out of hell and is in heaven and is going to be there for eternity. Because your newborn king was born to save you. This is where joy comes from. It's joy that fills our hearts knowing that our Savior was born to save us. That we were going to hell and now we're going to heaven because of Him. That's what fills our hearts with joy. And when our hearts are filled with joy, we can't help but to worship, adore, and praise the newborn King. Which is what the Magi do. On coming to the house... They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi stand outside the door of Jesus and they knock. And as soon as Mary opens the door holding baby Jesus, what do the Magi do? They fall down with their faces to the ground and worship the newborn king. They are so filled with joy to see this newborn king that they cannot help but worship him. And in their worship, they offer gifts. Frankincense, which is an incense that was used in in temples, put on altars. Gold and myrrh. Myrrh was a gummy substance uh, and it smelled really good. Uh, It's what they used on uh, the dead. So they they prepare uh, their bodies for burial and they'd use this myrrh, which smelled uh, really good to, to keep it from smelling bad. All expensive gifts, and they offer them to Jesus because they are so filled with joy they can't help but worship Him. If you're struggling with apathy in your relationship with Jesus and in in your worship, here is what I suggest doing. At least on Saturday night, maybe Sunday morning, if not every single day for three to five minutes, just sit and, and think through these questions. To have a joyful heart, ask yourself, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the God of this world. He is the God who created everything. He's the God who, who if He doesn't continue to tell your heart to beat, you would be dead. He is the God who has no beginning. He has no end. And this is the God who stepped into our world. And so think through why He came. He came... Not to hang out. He came to save us because of my sin. He came to save my soul from the fires of hell because my sins deserve it. And then think through what He accomplished. He accomplished the salvation of my soul. He died and rose again and in it my sins are forgiven. I am going to heaven because of Him. 
And the more we think about this, the more we focus on who He is, why He came, and what He accomplished, our hearts are going to be filled with joy. Not just today, not just for the rest of 2019, but forever. Until we reach heaven when we will be filled with eternal joy that will never end. And in our joy, we worship our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we praise and thank You that You came to this world, came to save us from our sins. Uh, Lord, we ask that uh, You guard our hearts from apathy toward this message, that it, it is new and fresh to us every single day of our life uh, because it's that amazing. We never want to take it for granted. We never want it to become uh, something that we're just too familiar with. Uh, help us to always be in awe and be filled with joy over what You accomplished for us. Be with us today and always and fill our hearts with that joy. Amen.